All right, part three of Advent Conspiracy, where we have been talking about uh, worshiping fully by spending less. Today, we're going to talk about giving more, and next week, we're going to come back and wrap up the series uh, by talking about how we can love all. But here's where I want to start today, jump in with a quote uh, from one of the brightest minds in Christendom today. Um, His name is N.T. Wright, but here's how he describes Christmas with Jesus. God's great rescue operation has been put into effect once and for all. A great door in the cosmos has swung open, which can never be shut again. This door that's been opened, right? This is a great description of Christmas, that that this door has been opened and you walk through that door to experience love and joy and peace and grace and rest. Um, I, I don't know what's on your Christmas list this year, what you want, but I can tell you one thing that you need. You need rescue. I need rescue. We need to be rescued. And so Advent Conspiracy is about how do we celebrate this great door that has been swung open in the cosmos. And, And the way that we have decided to do this is by worshiping fully and spending less, but giving more? That doesn't seem to line up. Some of you are thinking, God bless him, he can speak for long stretches of a time, but he can't do simple math, right? No wonder they have Frank take care of the finances, right? How does spending less and giving more work together? We're going to talk about that um, today um, and and kind of explore what that looks like. But actually where I want to start is I want us to think about, I want us to look at, I want us to do a little bit of a, a deep dive into why we even think about and participate in giving gifts on December 25th. Because here's, here's what I want. Part of my heart is a teacher. Um, I grew up the son and the grandson of a pastor and teacher, and so it's kind of in my blood. I want you to know why you do what you do. I don't want you just to keep going through the motions or just do it because you've always done it. I want you to have an idea of why we do what we do. So I dropped some history on you last week. I'm going to drop a little bit more history on you this week and just talk through what are some of the historical, what are some of the biblical, what are some of the traditional reasons for why we even give on or around December 25th every single year, all right? So that's, that's where we're going to go. We'll start, um, we'll start here. Most of you know the story recorded um, in the Gospels. We looked at that a little bit last week when we looked at Luke um, and Matthew, but there were these stargazers from the east, modern-day Iran and Iraq, who were um, arriving in Jerusalem looking for this this newborn king. Now, you've heard them described as the three wise men, or you've seen them depicted as the three wise men. We don't actually know how many there were. They're called the three wise men because there were three gifts, but there actually could have been more, but could have been less, but we just know that there were three three gifts. The other thing you need to think about is when you think about the timeline of when they actually arrive and give these gifts to Jesus, more than likely, they weren't at the manger the night of Jesus's birth. They probably got there months, uh, maybe even a couple years after Jesus was born. So today, when you go home, you need to go to your nativity scene and you need to take the wise men and put them in the other room, okay? If you wanna be historically accurate, actually, according to Pastor Mark, what he said last week, they need to be in Buffalo, New York right now, right? 
So again, just this idea, just some of these things that, that we don't really think about a whole lot, I want you to think about, okay? So we don't know how many of them there were, but we do know there were three gifts, same with me, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, okay? So these, these gifts, we don't have time to get into it, but these gifts had very, they, they, they're just filled with significance, for, for this newborn king. And we'll get into that. We'll come back to that someday. But um, what I want you to notice is they don't travel all of this distance to give gifts to each other in the presence of Jesus. Right? It wasn't, man, I'm so glad we're here. Here's a flat screen, right? They don't do that. They're giving these gifts to Jesus. It's an act of worship after a long journey in the presence of who they believe to be a newborn king. I think that's important. And so maybe that's one of the reasons that we give gifts at Christmas. Another reason uh, could come from the work of a man by the name of Nicholas of Myra. Many of you have heard of him before. Um, he was a bishop um, from uh, Greece who lived in Turkey, born to wealthy parents, um, who actually his parents died when he was just a child. But he doesn't coast through life on his parents' wealth. He actually leverages it and gives it away to particularly the poor and to children. We have pretty historically reliable stories of him giving gifts of food and clothing to people um, and then actually inviting other Jesus followers into that gift giving. So what am I saying? I'm saying, yes, Virginia, there really is a Santa Claus. There really is a Saint Nick. And here's the coolest thing about it. He was a follower of Jesus. He was a follower of Jesus. And as you travel through history, the story of St. Nicholas, a real person, starts to take on more layers. Um, in the 13th century, you see a group of French nuns start giving gifts to the poor in honor of St. Nicholas. Um, you go through, um, his legend spreads through Scandinavia, Germany, um, England, where he's, he's known as Father Christmas. Um, in the Netherlands, he's Sinterklaas. And in the, the 1800s, we get to this funny fat man in a red suit who gives gifts um, to children who have been good all year long. And in the 1920s, only in America, in the 1920s, advertisers latch on to this fat man in a funny suit and they say, this is how we're going to market Christmas from now on. So you think about it, in the grand scope of, of human history, it's only about 100 years old this idea of Santa Claus and, and, and the marketing and all of the stuff that goes around it. And again, don't hear what I'm not saying. I am not saying that is all bad. I am not saying we should rearrange his letters and call him Satan. I am not even going close to that, okay? I am just saying, I think sometimes if we're not careful, if we're not intentional, it gets in the way. It can, it can distract us from worshiping Jesus fully during this time of year. And I think we should, again, at the very least, I think we should be aware of some of this. We should know where it comes from. Um, and, and so that, that it, it helps us. Okay, so all, all of those are kind of part uh, of the equation, but it still, it doesn't really answer, okay, why do we give gifts to each other on December 25th? right? Um, if you ask our Kids Point kids who are downstairs right now learning about Christmas, they will tell you, well, that's because it's Jesus's birthday. 
That's, that's what we do every single year with our kids, have a, have a happy birthday Jesus party, right? And I'm not trying to ruin it, but they're wrong, <laughs> okay? December 25th is not Jesus's birthday. I'm not trying to ruin anything for anybody, so just hang with me, okay? You, and most of you know this. Scholars pretty much agree that Jesus was not born in December. Um, shepherds um, are more than likely not out in the fields watching or their flocks at night in December, it gets cold in December in Bethlehem. And on top of that, no Caesar who wants an accurate account would force people to travel to their hometown in the, the harshest traveling, at least weather-wise, the harshest traveling month of the year. Not going to make them do that in December. So again, why December 25th? Well, like many other things with our modern-day calendar, all roads lead to Rome. The Romans um, celebrated different festivals devoted to their gods, and these festivals predate everything that we've talked about so far. Happened way before all of that. The Roman Empire was alive and kicking before Jesus ever showed up, and God used the Roman Empire to spread Christianity throughout the world. This is what God does. He, he takes human culture, he takes um, the different empires of the world, and he uses them. He leverages them for his own purposes and his own will. And he did this in Rome. And so we just need to be honest about that. We need to be comfortable with some of this stuff. Um, but the Romans would have these end-of-the-year festivals dedicated to the worship of their gods. One of those gods was the god of agriculture and harvest, who was Saturn. And they would have this end-of-the-year festival called Saturnalia. Um, and it was this decadent week of overeating and, and overindulgence, gambling. Um, masters would serve their slaves. And slaves actually used that as an occasion to just completely insult their master without consequence. Um, that we, we carry on this tradition today with what's called the office Christmas party, actually. <laughs> Um, here's one ancient description of what went on during Saturnalia. It says, the serious is barred, no business allowed. Drinking and being drunk, noise and games and dice, appointing of kings and feasting of slaves, singing naked, clapping of tremulous hands, an occasional dunking of corked faces in icy water. Such are the functions over which I preside. That's Saturnalia. And some of you are going, I didn't know my in-laws were of Roman descent. It happens every year at Christmas. So if you look at it, and again, you, could, you can go and read history on your own. You can find this all out on your own. When you look at this and you think about the Roman Empire, it's not all that surprising. Like overindulgence and decadence and just these unbelievable feasts, that's not all that surprising when you think about the Roman Empire. But one of the things that is surprising is during Saturnalia, there were also some good things that happened. You gave to the poor. You gave up to charities. You gathered with your family. And you had these feasts because nobody was, nobody was at work. Everything was kind of closed down. The market was closed down. So you just spent time with family. You sang songs. Uh, you lit candles. You brought pine branches into your home to decorate it. There's these just, just, just all kinds of things. And during Saturnalia, you gave gifts to each other. 
So there were some really nice things that happened during Saturnalia 2, but at its core, it's dark. At its core, it's people are getting drunk, running through the streets naked. Sometimes men would dress up as women. Sometimes you would um, take the hides of animals and put them over themselves and dance through the streets. And all of it was in worship of their God, of their God, Saturn. And at some point, early followers of Jesus entered the picture and they're going, okay, <laughs> we don't believe in that God. We're not going to worship that God. We're not going to act like that. We're not going to take part in all of that stuff. So what do we do? What do we do? And they decide, okay, we're off work. Kids aren't in school. Um, we don't know exactly when Jesus was born. So why don't we take this as an opportunity for us to worship the one true God? Why don't, we, why don't we, while everybody's out there worshiping their God, doing all these decadent things, let's join in the giving. Let's join in the celebrating. Let's, let's join in the feasting and all that stuff. But let's do it for a different reason. Let's, let's use what's happening in our culture as an opportunity to enjoy all of these good things by worshiping Jesus instead. And at some of you, you, you already knew this, some of you are putting two and two together, but this thing has some, some pagan roots, right? Like, like some of the foundational things that come with Christmas, it pretty much started as, as a pagan festival. It started as idolatry, which begs the question, okay, should we even be taking part in this? The Puritans asked that question. Remember the Puritans? Funny hats, buckles on their shoes. Okay, the Puritans asked this question. In 15, 1600s, they, they were basically inherit these traditions from their forefathers, and they decide, we're not doing this. We're not going to celebrate Christmas. We're not going to take part in this, this pagan holiday. In fact, one of their guys in England, a really uptight guy, Oliver Cromwell. In 1645, Oliver Cromwell canceled Christmas in England. Talk about ball humbug, right? And there, and there are still people, there are still people today that ask that question. Okay, do you go with Cromwell and the Puritans and just not do anything and just completely ignore it and don't take part in it? Unfortunately, I think too many people in our culture go the other direction. And they do the Saturnalia route. And they overindulge. And they use it as an excuse to get drunk over and over and over and over and over again. And it's, 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 it's this idolatry of materialism and consumerism. And they go the opposite direction. I don't think either of those is a, good, is a good way to go. I think there's actually a third way. I think there's a better way. And I'd like to suggest that better way. I think as followers of Jesus, we can align ourselves with those early Christians who decided to tell the story of Jesus in the culture that they found themselves in, in a way that reflected and retold the story of Emmanuel. They didn't take part in the decadence and the overindulgence, but they didn't put their head in the sand either. They didn't completely remove themselves from it. They leveraged what was available to them to celebrate the birth of the one who stepped into human history to rescue them. I think that's a better way. 
I think that's a better way. And maybe that doesn't help you at all. Maybe it just bores you to death. But at least now, you have a little bit of a snapshot. You have a little bit of an idea of why. Why is it that we give gifts um, around Christmas? But even then, it's kind of an incomplete gift There's, there, or incomplete picture. There's more to this than simple tradition or history. Ultimately, giving gifts at Christmas, I think, finds its genesis in God's gift to us. So I just want to do a real quick um, overview of Scripture just different verses, different places where we see this idea of God giving a gift to us. Here's what Paul wrote um, to the church in Corinth. He says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. I love that. He, he, what he says to the church in Rome, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. It's this idea that God is giving us something, that God has given us something. Then we come, probably the most famous verse in all the, the Bible, thanks to NFL fans everywhere, for God so loved the world that he, what? You know it, gave, gave his only son. So God loved and he did what people who love do. He gave, he gave. It goes even further back from that, 700 years. Before Jesus even shows up, Isaiah writes, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, right? I know it's repetitive. I know many of you have heard this all before, but we just have to come back to, we, I just think I need to be reminded of this, that this whole, the central truth of Christmas is that God gave us a gift. God blessed us. We didn't ask for it. We didn't even know we needed it. God gave us the gift of his son. And for those of us who are following Jesus, that's the foundation. Like that's the reason for our gift giving. This is, this is how we give more, even though we spend less. We give more by reflecting the story of Jesus. We give more by retelling the story of Jesus in our gift giving. And you say, okay, that, that, that sounds great theoretically, but what does that look like? I think we need to go back to the story, okay? So I want to go back to the story. There's a really fancy word. Um, doesn't show up in the Bible, but it's this, this word incarnation, right? It's when the infinite becomes finite. And John, in the first chapter of his gospel story, talks about the incarnation. Here's how he describes it. He says, in the beginning was the word. This is the term he used for Jesus, the word. And the word was with God. The word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. John says, this is who Jesus is. He's, he's the word. He's the one through which the universe was made. And then you go a few chapters later into to John chapter 1 to verse 14, and he tells us, and here's the moment where the infinite universe-creating word squeezes himself into human flesh. Verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the whole tabernacle, how God came and dwelt. This is the moment in time where God came to dwell with us. One translator says, he moved into our neighborhood. I love that. He came to be with us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And it's almost like John says, I don't know how he did it. I don't know how God squeezed himself into human flesh, but he did. And he's, he wasn't 50% full of grace and 50% full of truth. 
He was 100% grace and 100% truth. And this is the gift of the incarnation. This is the gift of Jesus. And there's so much more that we could say about that. But for our purpose today, I just want to unpack what this can teach us about giving at Christmas. And, and as every good preacher does, I got three words for you, okay? Three words. We find the first clue to the first word, again, in Isaiah. Very, very, it's a passage we come back to every Christmas, Isaiah seven fourteen. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and he, and, and they will call him Emmanuel. We already sang about this today. This, this, this word that we've heard before means God with us. God with us. So the first thing I think we learn about gift giving is that God gave us his presence. He gave us his presence. When John said the word became flesh and dwelt among us, it means that God wanted to be with us, wanted to move into our neighborhood. He, he, he could have sent you a gift from a distance. Have you ever thought about this? Like he could have done anything he wanted. He's God. He, he could have emailed you a get-out-of-hell-free card. He could, have, he could have just fixed our sin problem remotely. He could have worked from home, like many of you are still doing today. He could have done that. But instead, he chose to give it to us face-to-face. To give us to, in, in flesh and blood. When, when Paul says Jesus is the image of the invisible God, it means for the first time God has a face. There's, there's something incredibly tangible about God through Jesus. We know what being with God is like. We know what being in his presence is like. Because Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Which means when we give gifts of presence at Christmas... We're reflecting something about the gift that God gave us. We're retelling the story. I know that's not a new concept. I know it's not. But when we say, I just want to be with you, I want to spend tangible, like real life, face-to-face time with you, we're actually retelling the story. We're reflecting the story of Emmanuel. I heard a story a couple years ago. Um, in fact, I might have even used it before, but I heard a story of a, of a son who gave his dad a, a gourmet bag of coffee. And if you like coffee, that's a, it's a great gift, right? But with that bag, he gave his dad a note that said, Dad, you can only drink this coffee with me. So what happens when a dad and a son drink coffee? I don't know because I don't drink coffee, <laughs> Right? <laughs> But, but conversation happens, connection happens, relationship happens, storytelling happens, sarcasm probably happens, ribbing happens, you know, all these different kind of things that happen between dads and sons. Presents happen. Merry Christmas, Dad. Just want to spend time with you and drink coffee. That's the gift of presence. And we can reflect that. We can retell that kind of story in our gift giving, which brings us to the second word. When you give that kind of gift, it gets really personal. God didn't just give us the gift of his presence. He gave us this, this gift that was personal. Uh, some verses, many, you've heard many, many times, listen to them again for a very important pronoun. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. 
is Christ the Lord. These angels say to the shepherds, I'm bringing good news to you. A savior has been born to you. It's it's John 3.16 personalized before John 3.16 ever happened. For God so loved you that he gave his one and only son. God's gift to us was really, really personal. And let's just contrast that with some of the gifts that you've been given before. Have you ever gotten a gift that just screamed, they don't know me? Right? Like a subscription to a Jelly of the Month Club? Really? Right? That would be like somebody getting me a cat. You don't know me. Right? You don't know me. And we can have a lot of fun with that. We can have a lot of fun with that, but let's flip it around. Have you ever gotten a gift for somebody else that communicated, yeah, I haven't thought about you for a long time. I just feel obligated to give you something. Boom. I hate it, but I have. I have. I've given gifts to my family members. Yeah, I haven't really thought about you. I just feel obligated to get you something. That's not, that's not the personal. I'm, 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 it's not personal. It's not personal. And, and I'm, I'm talking to myself just as much as I am to you. But if we're going to give personal gifts, don't you have to pay attention to what speaks to them? Don't you have to know what they like, know what they enjoy? Like what, what would, what's important to them? What would honor them? What would speak to them? Those are... Those are personal gifts. And let's just say what we're all thinking. Those gifts take more time. Those gifts take more intentionality. They take more effort because you can't just log on to Amazon or run to Walmart to check it off the list. But I think, I think that's what it looks like to give personal gifts. Which brings us to the third word. The third word is costly. Giving gifts that retell the story of Emmanuel are going to cost us something. Okay? I want you to look at a passage of Scripture. Again, this isn't really a Christmas passage, but in some sense it is. This is from Philippians chapter 2. Have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So I want you to notice, again, passage you've heard many times, I just want you to notice, Jesus goes through a series of steps, a series of demotions in this passage. And let's just be honest, that first step is a doozy. He goes from being eternal, unbroken relationship with the Trinity, worshipped in heaven, to a helpless baby on earth. There is nothing in this world that we can identify with that. There's absolutely nothing. That's a huge step. But not only does he come to earth, but he takes on human flesh. For the first time in history, God is killable. He's taking on human flesh. Not only is God killable, but he chooses not to take the form of a king or a ruler. He takes the form of a servant. So think about this. In heaven, he's worshipped. 
On earth, he's ignored. In heaven, he's infinite. On earth, he's mocked. In heaven, he goes on forever. In heaven, he says a word and the universe bursts into existence. On earth, he's attacked, humiliated, and in the end, he's crucified. See, Jesus, Jesus doesn't just endure minor frustration for a time. He endures the loss of heaven, the brokenness of humanity for 30 plus years, and then the most humiliating, painful death you could experience at that time in history. That was the cost of the gift that you and I received that first Christmas. It's costly. It's costly. And if we're going to reflect that gift, if we're going to retell that story, it's probably going to cost us. What does that mean? I have no idea. I have no idea what that means for you. Maybe it means you sign up for a demotion. Maybe it means you put, your, you, know, you put the towel over your arm and you serve in some way, shape, or form. You ring a bell outside of Dylan's or Walmart for a couple hours. You ask your parents how you can help around the house. You offer to babysit for a single mom for free. You donate blood. You wash somebody's car. You rake your neighbor's leaves. There's all kinds of ways that we can serve others. And so many of you do this so well. And, and we, we talked a little bit about this last week, but this, this idea of us doing it as individuals or as churches can also be brought to this corporate level, to us as a church. We talked about our Christmas Eve offering and how we're, we're going to try and raise $40,000 this year as a church for, for our Advent conspiracy. And all that money is going to go out the door to help serve People and organizations here in Topeka and around the world, places like the Bridge of Topeka, uh, Topeka Rescue Mission, Trash Mountain Project. It's going to go to missionaries in South America, China, um, Eastern Europe, even some in the United States. You're actually going to hear directly from one of the partners that, we're, that we've partnered with over the last few years next week. Um, uh, uh, the, the, uh, the, the folks from Atmana Kids are going to be here. It's, it's an orphan ministry in Rwanda, Africa. And you're going to hear about how your giving is actually going to help establish a dental clinic for kids in Rwanda next week. So I hope, I hope you come back and join us for that. But that's, that is an, our opportunity as individuals, as a church, to reflect the story of Emmanuel to retell the story of Jesus in our gift giving. We can give in such a way that it serves at-risk kids here in our own community. We can give in such a way that, that it serves uh, the Topeka Rescue Mission and all the work they do for our community. We can give in such a way that it serves children living and dying in trash dump communities. We can give in such a way that it spreads the gospel, as you already heard today, in places that we can't go. That, that is what giving more looks like. And I got to tell you, for me, and maybe it's just because of the seat that I get to sit in, for me, that is way more exciting than thinking about the stuff that I'm going to get. <laughs> that is so much more energizing to me than my list. And, and let's, let's call this out. It's costly, 
there's all kinds of things that we could figure out to do with $40,000 around here. But we believe, and we want to do this in a practical, tangible way. We believe that God gave us a costly gift. It cost him a lot. And we just want in a very practical, tangible way to reflect that in the way that we give as a church. We want to retell the story that, hey, God came for you, so we're coming for you. God gave this to you. We want to give this to you. And in that, we get to retell and we get to reflect the story. It's just one of those ways that we do it as individuals and as a church. And when we do, we reach back into the story of Emmanuel and we allow that history-changing, life-altering story of Jesus to continue to change the world. So yeah, spending less and giving more may sound like a contradiction in terms, but when you give gifts of presence, when you give personal gifts, when you give costly gifts, I think it makes perfect sense. I think it makes perfect sense. We reach back into the incarnation. We, we reach back into the story. We show our friends, we show our family, parents, you show your kids that the story of Christmas, the story of Jesus is so much more than the nativity scene on your mantle. It's so much more than the songs. It's so much more than the celebration. It's so much more than the feasting. It's actually, no, it actually still changes the world. That door that is swung open in the cosmos is still open. It's still completely wide open. And we get to step through it. We get to step into this as individuals, as families, and as a church. And we get to communicate that giving actually is better than receiving. So let's, let's continue to worship fully. Let's, let's continue to figure out what it means to spend less. And for Christ's sake, let's give more. Let's give more. You got to figure that out, how you do that individually. But on Christmas Eve, we're going to do it corporately. And I hope you'll join us for that. Next week, we're going to come back and talk about the fourth tenet of Advent Conspiracy, which is love all. You're going to hear, as I've already said, from one of our partners who's going to be here, get a chance to interview her and uh, the work that they're doing in Rwanda and how you can take part in that. So I want to pray for us. And then I got one last thing before we're done today. So let me pray and then we'll do that. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of Emmanuel, <laughs> that, that you came. You're still with us through your spirit, in your people, through your word. And God, we can continue to join you in this great rescue operation that you started thousands and thousands of years ago. And God, would you help us to, to wrestle with some of these things, again, as families, as individuals, as high school students, college students, young adults, as 60, 70, 80-year-olds, everybody in between that calls Grace Point their home, would you help us to wrestle with this? Would you help us to think about it? Would you help us to figure out what it looks like for us to retell the story of Jesus, to reflect the story of Emmanuel, even in, even in the way that we give gifts to each other, to the, 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 the places and the organizations that we love, and then to the people and the organizations around the world that are being a part of your hands and feet. And we just want to come alongside and partner with. God, continue. Would you, would you help us to always be people 
who operate as if we believe that giving really is better than receiving. Would you help us to always be the kind of church that operates like that? Would you give us hearts that are open, that are soft to where you direct us to do that? And then would you use it to further your kingdom because it's about your glory, not ours. We will love you. We will, we will continue to be obedient to where you call us to go and to give. And we ask this all in Jesus' name.